Coming up on Magnificently Huge, we're talking the comedy classic Caddyshack and Kenny Loggins' theme song and Gophers. So we got that going for us, which is nice. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Well, hello, listener. Welcome. It's episode 36 of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris. This week, along with Eric and Brian, we're diving into part three of our ongoing retrospective about the film themes of Kenny Loggins. Well, this week, we're, we're getting straight to it. The inaugural effort from 1980, the comedy classic known as Caddyshack and his uh, hit song, I'm All Right. Odd fact about this episode, it's going to be the only podcast you will ever listen to about Caddyshack wherein no quotes from Caddyshack are regurgitated in your face, which is just phenomenal to me because uh, you can't talk about Caddyshack without talking about the quotes, and we don't talk about the quotes, so are we really talking about Caddyshack? It's a conundrum, but sit back and let it roll over you, kind of like a, a golf ball into the the 18th green we'll, we'll go over the improvisatory shenanigans of the genius that is bill murray wherein uh, everything he says is quotable and again we don't quote it rodney dangerfield Chen chase ted knight they're all at the top of their game and this is a movie that has grown in esteem over the, the last few decades since its release much more so than it was regarded when it came out so we're gonna we're gonna touch on that and uh, full disclosure, two-thirds of the Mag Huge team do not think this movie is really that funny. And uh, I'm just going to go on record and tell you that uh, Brian and Eric are flat wrong in that respect. But don't hold it against them. Uh, everybody's got an opinion, you know? I mean, I wouldn't be caught dead in that hat. Uh, but it looks good on you, though. See how that works? Uh, I'm going to wheedle in a couple more quotes here, if I may. Uh, but first, you can email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. Uh, you can reach out to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher. Rate us, share us, review us. Just give us some love, if you would, please. Uh, it validates us. It really uh, allows us to be the ball. Be the ball. See your future. Make your future. So, yeah, give us some reviews, and then you can catch us on Twitter, at MagHuge, and Facebook, at MagnificentlyHuge. Enjoy the show. We had a lot of fun. Uh, we break new ground, like I say, because we don't quote, even though I'm quoting uh, in this one. So, uh, in the the words of Carl Spackler from the classic Caddyshack, uh, Gunga Galunga, Gunga Gunga Lagunga. What's up, fellas? Hey. Hey. Don't sound so enthused, Eric. Sorry. I'm in give up mode this week. I Are you? I'm 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 covered in wires. 
I have people uh, talking over me when I'm trying to tell them things. I can't get to food when I'm hungry. I'm just, fuck it. You know, I'm just going to let everything roll over me. And because that seems to be what annoys everyone else more when I just sort of lay back and go, yeah, go ahead and fuck with me. I don't care. (laughs) Well, I'm all right. Don't nobody worry about me. Oh, give it up. Oh, we're about to. Uh, Get a job. <laughs> well, as we get into uh, the the wonders of Kenny Loggins' inaugural soundtrack effort uh, in Caddyshack, uh, who wants to talk some fresh shit first? This shit is fresh! Oh, shit, that is fresh. This stuff is really fresh! I saw uh, Book of Mormon last night. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Is that... Your first to go, go with that first, one? First go round. I thought it was funny. I thought it was good. I thought it was very uh, South Park guys. Uh, oh, yeah. And it took me afterwards two hours to get to food. That's that's what I'll remember most. So basically, so your, first, your, your blood sugar so you're was dropping. Hangry. Yeah. We went to like three or four places, and I'm just like, you know what? Screw low carb. I, I just, I want food. I want food in my stupid, dumb head. And we kept going around <laughs> to places, and it kept not happening until we finally ended up at a Del Taco that's like three miles from home. And I'm like, if we're three miles from home, why, 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 don't, why don't we just go home? And I'll eat like, you know, low carb food. <laughs> and so Tanya was about to beat the shit out of me for that, and so I got a salad. But uh, yeah, Book of Mormon was great. <laughs> Chris, Chris, have you seen Book of Mormon? No, I don't. Uh, I don't catch theater work often, so okay. I'm waiting for the movie version. Yeah, that's another thing. It, it's this great format that they do theater in. It's like 3D. It's like you're. It's like you're there. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, what did you make of the spooky Mormon hell dream? Tanya said that was the part that she knew I would love the most, and that's the part I loved the most. <laughs> it is, it's where, like, half the budget for this show goes, like, yeah. the sets and the, it's insane. The dancing is great. The kid who is sort of the talks-too-much dork is so free with his body. I mean, he is just, like, throwing himself all over the place in any, you know, any number, and it's so great. Because you have to be a good dancer to look like you don't know what you're doing. Right. It's the secret to ineptitude. Yeah, I'm the world's most amazing dancer then. Actual bad dancers look like Star Wars kid. But, you know, really good dancers (laughs) who are trying to look like bad dancers, they look like, you know, this this guy in in, in Book of Mormon. And it was really great. Yeah, I, I actually felt like, and this was the South Parky thing, I actually felt like there was some of the swearing in it was just, superfluous like it was swearing for the sake of swearing and not uh, it wasn't funny it was like we think we're funny because we're saying fuck and it's like yeah you're not i don't know maybe that was just me i guess i didn't pick up on that but when when towards the end when uh elder i can't remember his name the the guy it's elder price it's you and me but mostly me that guy yeah, Elder Price. When okay. he when they're they're all like, well, but he told us we had to go home and we're bad elders. Yeah, well, fuck that guy. When he says that, it is jarring because everyone's swearing except them. And the moment he does, mm-hmm. I think on some level it worked like 
but I didn't notice. I like like the fuck you God number. Of course, I I absolutely adore. Oh yeah, yeah, that I, was beautiful. I do that like three or four times a day. Am I saying that Excuse me, sir, but but what exactly does that phrase mean? Well, let's see. Ebowai means God, and Hasadika means fuck you. So I guess in English it would be fuck you, God. What? When God fucks you in the butt. Fuck God right back in his cunt. So if I li- if I just listen to the uh, the Broadway cast album, will I get the gist? I don't need to see it. You might actually, although I don't know. I mean, like the basic message of the movie, the movie, the play, um, and and they really try to walk a fine line to not totally offend anybody. But their basic message is <laughs> all of this is bullshit. Like it's obviously bullshit, and so is every other religion. So pick yeah. your bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I, I would say don't. Don't do the soundtrack thing if you ever plan to see it, because all it really is is joke spoilers. You know, you're going to get half the True. idea and none of the joke. But that having been said, uh, you could get it from just the soundtrack. Okay, because odds are I probably won't ever go see it in the theater. So yeah. just... it almost has to become a movie at some point. Well, I mean, but they an animated the movie. If they don't. It has yeah. to be animated. I don't think a lot of those jokes <laughs> would work with people <laughs> in. Would they? Would they do it like Team America and do it with like puppets? Would that work? When the opening number, if you ever see the opening number on on you know like on YouTube when they did it at the Tonys or the you know Good Morning or you know Hello There, I can't remember what. Yeah. The, but that whole thing feels like uh, a bunch of Canadians from South Park with their heads bopping. <laughs> Somebody okay. actually animated that song with South Park style on YouTube. I, I've seen that. I'm gonna go look anyway. it up later. Okay. It's yeah, it's fun. Uh, is it worth all the hype? Uh, maybe yeah. it's not bad. I mean, it's worth it when you consider what everything else on Broadway is. And I like also that you know, all, yeah. On the one hand, they're not they're not flat out saying you know Mormons are stupid. They are saying the concept of religion is stupid. And uh, 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 there, there's mm-hmm. a character at one point who says, you don't, you didn't really believe that shit, did you? It's a metaphor. And it's like <laughs> <laughs> the last, you know, and you just don't expect someone to actually come out and say that. And it's like, yeah, that's what we're saying. We're not saying Mormonism is stupid. We're saying the whole idea of rules and, you know, goofy stories that actually mean shit is stupid. <laughs> okay. Which I think would actually piss them off more. What do you mean? The bullshit is the most important thing to us. And that's it. That's all I got. Book of Mormon. Nothing else. Yeah. No books. No Why music. Not? No movies. No, I'll end it there. <laughs> that okay. that an annoyance. I'm like walking around just <laughs> just uh, annoyed and just just grumbly and cranky. Perhaps we can soothe you for the next hour and let Brian take it. Yeah, because you know nothing's going to irritate Eric. <laughs> during the recording (laughs) that's that's the Uh, goal that's the goal so it's funny because i actually didn't think i was going to have like any fresh shit but it turns out i have plenty 
I spent the week working in Seattle where it was rainy. Um, I watch, I've been watching the same stuff I've been watching, some more Good Place, more Halt and Catch Fire. I watched the next um, Black Mirror, which was Metalhead, and it's the worst Black Mirror episode I've ever seen. Don't bother with Metalhead. <laughs> um, but I do have a couple things. So a while back, I told you I'd bought Super Mario Odyssey. I'm one of the losers who has 100% completed Super Mario Odyssey now, which is really way more than anybody should do. It's a mammoth game, and I went all the way with it. When did you buy it? Um, it came out in, like, October, and I had to put in, like, 60 hours to, to finish shit. this fucking thing. Okay. Wow. It's a big that's, game. That's dedication. All right, have I have I ever told you guys about the meeting I had with composer John Debney? Uh, no. I've never heard of John Deadmeat. John John <laughs> <laughs> John Debney. Uh, uh, he did the music for Elf and a whole bunch of other shit. Um, but he also did the music for one of the games I worked on. And I had this really bizarre moment where we're we're meeting. It's like us from the developer and people from Sony and John Debney, and we're eating at some Asian fusion trendy restaurant or whatever. And I have this like. Hollywood moment because Debney is SoCal. He's so very SoCal, and we were not. And so his his whole demeanor is this incredibly false positivity at all times. Like everything you say to this guy is just like, yeah, yeah, I'm into that. And I'm I'm me. So I'm sitting across the table from this guy, and my my head is just spinning. I'm just trying to think of like. What can I say to this fucking guy that he won't agree with? Like, I'm really thinking dead babies. You know, I'm just expecting him to be like, yeah, I love dead babies. <laughs> I anyway, you're coming from, so that, man. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I bring this up because that's the attitude of Timothy, Timothy Oliphant's character in Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix, which I started watching this oh, week. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. I like that one. Uh, have you guys seen this? Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't finish it. I can't remember why, but I did I have seen it. So I got I'm about four episodes in, so don't spoil too much, but yeah, like Timothy Oliphant is like amazing as the fake positive realtor guy, the husband. I'm sure that's not what he's saying. It'd be great if that's not what you're saying. Anyway, so you've both seen it. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. I will say, that without ruining anything, as the show goes on, that facade really starts to crack, and that's when shit gets funny. <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm, I'm enjoying it so far. Well, it's, I like that you, you find out how morally bankrupt they all are. Uh, yet yeah. they're still very mm-hmm. affable as a family unit. It's a very weird tightrope. Yeah, because it turns out the whole time, he none of them actually care. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They haven't cared the whole time, and the facade was there for the sake of a facade. Yeah, yeah. Drew Barrymore as a forty-something mom. I I haven't seen her in any roles where she played that kind of character. So it's it's you know it's mm-hmm. watching someone you've been watching your whole life. You're behind on a couple of Adam Sandler age. movies, I think. Yeah. Well, that, re- well, that reminds that, me of the... Is that really being behind? Or no, is that just, that's, you that's know... A, that's behind in movies that's ahead efficiency. in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me of the, the meme that I saw going around, and basically it's it's all of the traveling Wilburys and their ages <laughs> when they made the album. 
And it basically is something along the lines of, you know, back when you thought that these guys were so impossibly old to be playing any sort of rock music. Mm. <laughs> like Roy Orbison is the oldest in the group and he's 52. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck. Ew. oh shit. <laughs> Wandering Dingleberries. Yeah, the Wandering right. Dingleberries. Uh, I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. I like the I like the bit in Santa Clarita where they they go to the morgue and they're like, "We need a body," and the guy's immediately like, "You gonna fuck it?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just yeah. like, uh, "Yes, yes, yes uh, that's exactly what we're gonna." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so the the punchline to all of this is I'm watching Santa Clarita Diet and the credits roll. Music by John Debney, and I wah, thought that wah. that made me chuckle. and i have one more uh today i went and saw a movie i didn't know existed until today uh we were you know we go to sometimes we go to dumb movies because we want to go to a movie theater and we get out of the house and eat popcorn and we didn't want to go see the maze runner so we saw instead the clapper have you heard of this thing Mm -mm. the the clapper no. The Clapper, starring Ed Helms and Amanda Seyfried. No. Um, so the the deal here is Ed Helms is this kind of unlikable guy. He's kind of a dick. Um, he lives in L.A., and his job, he is a clapper. He is an audience member in infomercials. <laughs> so his whole nice. job is to be super enthusiastic about infomercials, and occasionally he gets paid extra if he gets to ask a question. Nice. And he's perfectly fine with this. His whole deal is he blends in with the crowd, and then some late-night like L.A. talk show notices that he was in the audience with various bad disguises for several infomercials. And and points it out, and they're like, do this whole thing. Like, who is the clapper? We need to, like, find this guy. And by doing that, they've ruined his anonymity, and they've taken away his ability to blend in with the crowd ah. and drawn attention to him and ruin his life. Because <laughs> he just wants to be anonymous and left alone, and he can't be now because they've nice. noticed him. Nice. Um uh, and it's Ed, and it's Ed Helms. Yeah, he he plays a good put upon sort. So yeah, I can see yeah. how that would work. I'm surprised they nice. still let him be in movies. I haven't seen him in a long time. <laughs> I think they shot it like two <laughs> years ago. <laughs> it's, it's it's fine. It's it's not a good movie. It's not a bad movie. It's better than Caddyshack. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. But yeah, it it was fun. I watched it. It was a movie. Uh, lots of lots of people in LA <laughs> slumming it. That would be a great one of those those <laughs> those quotes from like you know Bob Finster, the Arizona Republic. It was a movie. I I have been known to say that after watching movies. Uh, like I'll just turn to Jolie and I'll be like, "That was a movie. Well, it had like pictures and sound. And it stuff. was shot on film and took between eighty minutes and three hundred minutes to complete." Well, that's like my my brother's bit that I use all the time now. It's when a movie's coming out and people are talking about it, going, "Oh, you interested in seeing that?" And you just go, "Missed it." <laughs> so it's before it ever comes out. People get really perf- just sort of confused by that. It's like, "What do you mean you missed it?" Oh, I get it. I did think about Eric during this movie because of his just desire to be left a fucking alone. <laughs> and- <laughs> 
Uh, There's a bit of that in this. Anyway, yeah. Eric Reed, the Clapper 2. That could be the... See, <laughs> I might be paranoid that all of this is a sign that I'm like you know becoming a grumpy old man but i don't think this is far off from when we were in high school right i think i've always been a grumpy old man just yeah. with like spots like, just with spots of high energy like like insanity <laughs> with long bouts of oh uh, fuck you i don't fucking care well it's like the like when you would disappear for four or five days and we couldn't reach you and then <laughs> and then eventually you would turn up and you'd be fine and we'd be like yeah. oh okay Hey. <laughs> One of my former co-workers gave me a children's book called I Hate Everyone, and I still have it on display. <laughs> nice, nice. I need to get Eric a copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember some, saying that to somebody when they were like, well, where have you been all this time? I was on a walkabout. What the fuck do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, do you have any fresh shit? I don't have much. Uh, I kind of fell into a National Lampoon rabbit hole because we were prepping for this Caddyshack show. Um, so I had already rewatched uh, Drunk Stone Brilliant Dead, which is about the making of National Lampoon magazine, and it's more or less about With Doug Will Forte. Kenny. No, no. Then I watched the movie that came out Friday on Netflix called A Feudal and Stupid uh. Gesture. Yeah. Which is which is a, a a biopic about Doug Kenny, but they do it in a really uh, break the fourth wally sort of goofy way, yeah. which was very fitting for something about National Lampoon. Uh, but the was framing, it any good? It was. It was actually really very charming because they just they didn't. I mean, they basically drew attention to the fact that it was a biopic, and they just laid waste to all the conventions. So as a yeah. as it relates to National Lampoon, it was really fun to watch that because that was what National Lampoon was all about, was just blowing up all of the, the conventions. Um, but the framing devices that got Martin Mull to play an older version of Doug Kenny if he had lived, and then he's narrating yeah, the whole you. thing. <laughs> See, that's really the funny. thing. I was going to ask like a spoiler-ish question. Like, do they address the fact that He's fucking dead. How does Martin Mull playing an older yeah, version no, of they, him? That's that's the opening scene is talking to him, and they basically just lay it out on the line there, and then they they even say it in the trailer, like you yeah. know, do you think that a younger me looked like Will Forte? No, you he's know, like, do you think a younger me looks like Will Forte at twenty seven? Do you think Will Forte is twenty <laughs> seven? So they, uh, and there's just it's chalk. Chalk a block with uh, cameos. There's a great like actual line after uh, Kenny died, where they they asked Rick Mar- not Rick Moranis, uh, Harold Ramis, if they thought he killed himself because he he fell into a ravine in Hawaii and he had said no, I don't think he killed himself. I think he fell into a ravine, but he fell into a ravine on his way to go kill himself. Yeah, that was the, I the big that's joke. a wonderful line. <laughs> so Jolene and I were all set to watch this thing last night. Yeah, we were going to watch Caddyshack and then watch that. And yeah. by the time we were done with Caddyshack, we had no fucking interest in watching this thing. Cause, <laughs> yeah, well, it's it, it was fun and it's chock-a-block with cameos. So it's it's good stuff. Uh, so I watched that and then I and I had seen the, the rewatch the documentary on National Lampoon. And then I started uh, revisiting old National Lampoon radio hour stuff because when I was a kid, uh my uncle had had a whole stash of uh, ephemera that he had left behind when he, you know, went to college and Marines and whatever. And so I would just root through 
Uh, and then you'd find like old Playboys and stuff, which is great when you're a kid. But I found National Lampoon and I had no idea what it was. And I started reading it and it's it's pretty fucked up stuff i mean it's just <laughs> it's it's intense because they just didn't care i mean they just they tried to offend everybody and i think it warped me because i was mm-hmm. like seven or eight when i found it for the first time and i didn't quite understand what was going on uh but it's just it's amazing but i dug up the old uh michael o'donohue who went on to do snl and he's just like the darkest grimmest man ever and he did a thing where like it was an ed sullivan roast uh, and he's like, I was thinking of a funny thing on the way here. What if Ed Sullivan were tortured? And when I say tortured, what I mean is what if steel needles, say six inches long, were plunged into Ed's eyes? I, th- I think it would go something like this. And then he would just start screaming, and it was like 30 or 40 seconds of just screaming. And it's just like, what the fuck is this? It's so hilarious. Uh, but it's just so many people came out of that. Because we talked about the uh, Zucker, Abram Zucker uh, a while back and, and how they were influential. Mm-hmm. But like National Lampoon, it's just amazing when you see how many people came out of that and then went on from, from the Ackroyd, Belushi, Bill Murray, and all that, but even like John Hughes. Uh, came out of that and that's where the va- the script for vacation came from so it's just there was a lot of history there and then yeah, i just went not, into my it's not what you know it's who you know <laughs> yeah go to harvard uh well not all those guys are from harvard though but uh so yeah so i just i fell into a a, a weird comedy nerd hole uh in the last week and I, i've just now climbed out so it's been a very very odd trip uh otherwise that should I didn't be the name anything. of our next podcast comedy nerd hole <laughs> yeah there we could go. just change the name of this one to that I'm, yeah and we'll do yeah. improv and we'll have actual guests and yeah i think it's yeah. called comedy we're, bang we're in bang danger now, of having but... more episodes than regular listeners at this yeah. point so <laughs> <laughs> who's ready to talk about kenny loggins yeah yeah, I, I, I forgot there yeah. was a second. There are two Kenny Loggins songs in there, and the other one is kind of a, a, a doo-woppy kind of boogie-woogie yeah. song. Can we somehow dispense with Caddyshack too, so I don't have to watch it in this uh, episode? I've well? never, I've never seen it, and I have no intention of ever seeing it. So, I have. Uh, don't. <laughs> Thank God. Basic Cable. I saw it. It's yeah. Don't even bother. Yeah, uh. that. But that also has a, a hit song by Kenny Loggins. But we can just roll it into this one uh i don't know the name of the song uh i I think it charted at some point uh but that was right around the same time of uh over the top i think so it was just i'm sorry but if he's got a song in the movie according to the rules of uh uh logman voluming (laughs) fuck all right. We're going to have to eventually do it. Bitch. God we're going to well, we're gonna have to do God. the funny or die uh, art of the deal. <laughs> because he did a song for that, too. The art of the deal. Dude, we have to do the yeah. Tigger movie. Yeah. Well, and, and <laughs> those rules. Yeah. And apparently he has a song in the Streisand Christopherson Stars Born uh, remake. Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, we've we've got a lot of fodder if we really want to get into the the dregs. Uh, My wife was asking me, she's like, "Why, <laughs> why did you guys choose to watch this movie?" I'm like, 
this this shit was set in motion before I even joined the podcast. Like, <laughs> yeah, this is our exactly. Show. That's true. That's true. Oh. No, it was the third show. Our second show was Batman, and then oh, we decided right. to. to yeah. And then we decided I, to branch. I actually out. was there for the over the top episode, but I wasn't involved in in Logman being a fucking thing. And I still think of our first one of Star Wars Day being you know nothing more than a beta because you know. Yeah, <laughs> we weren't even recording it properly. It's like the sound of Chris's voice coming out of my phone, <laughs> which was good. Uh, Basically, we should archive the older shows and not let anyone hear them. Yeah. So before the phone cut out, see this podcasting stuff's hard. Uh, <laughs> we need like a musical interlude. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Like, 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 like an NPR thing, and then fade back in, like we're. Like having a fake conversation about something. I've just played clips from it, so you know, you're welcome. <laughs> Damn it! But but this I like I like this for Kenny Loggins because this was 1980 uh, when Caddyshack came out, and this was effectively his inaugural go at just doing a song straight for a soundtrack. I think uh, from everything that I've been able to find. So I mean, he saw the rushes in the production office when they were cutting it together, and he said he laughed his ass off and said, "I want to." do it uh so he he made it's a I'm, fantastic song yeah it's 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 poppy it's catchy it's uh it's kenny loggins is probably his kenny logginginist uh it's funny what he connected with if you listen to the lyrics there's all sorts of mentions like be the ball it's like like he, i can see him in the in the, the screening room writing down little bits to put into the show well, the there's actually, yeah, there's actually a line in there somewhere midway where he basically says, uh, it's when the, the chorus comes in, but there's like, some Cinderella kid. So he's like incorporating that. And then another funny story that I read was the, the catch before that, where he's like, got to catch you later. And then Eddie Money apparently is doing the guest vocal uh, saying, no, no, cannonball it right away. Uh, <laughs> and then got really pissed off with uh, <laughs> with Kenny Loggins. Uh, I found this in, a, in an article online called Eddie Money Wants to Punch Kenny Loggins. And it's just a <laughs> it's just a a couple of paragraphs long, but basically it's uh he they were label mates and they were recording at the same time, and then Eddie Money came in and sang the bridge, uh, and then didn't see any credit for it, didn't get anything for it at all, and he's and he about he's that. pissed about that. So it's <laughs> la di da. So that's the and then the other funny bit of trivia I discovered was that. Uh, Apparently, when they were m- making the movie, Harold Ramis's first choice to get an artist to do a song for the movie was to go to Pink Floyd because the wall had just come out. <laughs> I was trying to imagine <laughs> what the hell that would be like. <laughs> so, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a good one. Uh, but I I like that they they kind of. Uh, had I'm Alright and then they've also got the instrumental version of it that shows up throughout the movie and it kind of opens dude I'm Alright is the background music to the sex scene I know yeah yeah the just the ooh ah ooh ah no that's that's the that's the remix that's the remix mashup instrumental that one's called Make the Move 
if you look at the uh, soundtrack listing. But it's it's part of I'm All Right. Oh, like, yeah. That is... Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, that, that really weirded me out. I'm like, I'm listening to all, I'm All Right under a sex scene. This is... I think, well, yeah, but, but, but we'll look at it in the from the other direction, though. The point of the song, really, for the first time, was to make you want to see a movie, right? Or to remind <laughs> you of the movie so you go see it again. So yeah. they're just mixing all the elements in the, of the movie into the song. But we're yeah. more familiar now with the song than the movie, especially since we haven't seen it in forever. Oh, if only that were still true. <laughs> But compare it to, say, Top Gun, which we did a show on previously uh, in part uh, two of the Kenny Loggins retro. Uh, mm. So he does Danger Zone, which is the main theme, and then he does Playing with the Boys, the the weirdly homoerotic volleyball session. <laughs> uh, so you could almost make the case that that's sort of what's happening here. It's sort of this is like the template. Uh, maybe for for what Kenny Loggins can bring to the table when you hire him to do your soundtrack. Yes. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I do miss theme songs in movies in general. Like that was a and that goes way back too. But but yeah. man, we just don't get them anymore. It's because in the nineties they hard. went overboard and yeah. fucked it all up with with Brian <laughs> that's, Adams that's and Sting doing the Prince and, of Thieves. Duh. No, I think it. I think it hit its apex with uh, the Titanic deal. I mean, that was just everywhere. And I, I feel like Cad, like Caddyshack, I look back and I remember as a kid because I hadn't seen the movie yet, but the song was everywhere. And, uh, and it was on the charts for like 22 weeks, uh, peaked at number seven in October of that year. And so that's like, that's, a, that's like his fourth highest charting hit of all career for Kenny Loggins. And of the top four, three of them were from movies. So he really knew what he was doing, I think, he, when he got into bed with, with Hollywood. I mean, he just he knew what he was doing. I, I got nothing but props for him. It is, a, it is a finely crafted pop tune. I don't know who produced it, but it's right up there with Jeff Lynne's ELO work in terms of, you know, music production in 1980. That thing is... Well, my really song. Well, my favorite part too is when you get into all like the weird, and then it has that like weird, yeah, and it has like weird break in it, and then it like kicks back into the guitars and stuff. I'm like, that's what's going on? This is so, it's smooth, but it's it's kind of rocky. And so then I went back and watched Pink Floyd, right? Well, yeah, and then Pink Floyd politely demurred. Uh, and said no, uh, which is too bad. But you know, it opened the door for Kenny. But I went back and watched. Well, they also Eric- did a soundtrack for Zabritsky Point, which was, you know, horrible. Yeah, I mean, it's like that's they, true. They, they, yeah. they kind of basically just used a bunch of songs from you know their previous album from uh, Metal, I think. And what's funny is, uh, was it Antonioni, the the guy who made that film, basically. He had said, I, I just I just want to use that one song from your other album, you know. And they were like, no, you can't. Oh, okay, then, can you make a soundtrack? Uh, sh- 
okay. Okay. Sure. But, you know, if you want to just give me that one song, that'd be great. But, um, yeah, I can't see Pink Floyd doing any kind of soundtrack work, especially for a comedy, which yeah. ostensibly this is. Did you notice True. that it wasn't actually that funny anymore? It really well, wasn't funny at all. Like, Jolene and our, our, our review was, our soberness made that unbearable. <laughs> um, I was well, really not high enough to watch this movie. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. And it, it, the way that it was constructed... Uh, and and I'm gonna I'll, I'll be <laughs> constructed I'll, as a relative yeah. term, and and I'll I'll be the unabashed uh, fan of Caddyshack. I have no qualms with uh, defending this because it still makes me laugh, uh, but not so much because of the the jokes and the performances anymore. Because I'm I'm you know I'm not 15 watching it for the first time and just thinking oh it's so funny raunchy ha ha ha. I'm I'm fascinated by the just all of the other stuff that went into making what we see today and it just enthralls me when i watch it now because it's just it's just this weird happy accident i mean i'm amazed that it got made it all it got released and then it even made money because the whole thing was just a shambolic mess from even before they started i mean it's just well, a crazy yeah, I mean, it's just a bunch of like hey what if we did this and what if we did that right like it's it's one of those improvisational piece together of, of yeah. little ideas but there's no actual plot. Well, here's the like, thing: is when they nothing when, happens. Well, this is what fascinates me about it, though, is that it's the the crew that, that made Animal House, uh, and that was just a giant, giant success. I think Animal House in 1978 grossed something like 141 million dollars, which is fucking insane. And they made it for like three million, uh, and so that started basically the whole teen college raunch comedy genre as we know it and so everybody wanted a piece of that and so then you get a lot of really uh questionable uh comedies that try to ape that well caddyshack is the same team basically it's like harold ramus is doug kenny uh i think brian doyle murray came in because he brian was brian doyle murray yeah yeah wrote because because it's based on his experiences growing up when he was a caddy at a snooty country club in Chicago, and so they had this whole other movie set up. And when Doug Kenny took over and, and added a lot to it, it's what he wanted to he wanted to make it like a Buildings Roman, which is like a coming of age tale about Danny Noonan. And so the whole thing was about the caddies. And then they found the funding and they got it all set up. And then they had all these actors come in and then just sort of run away with it harold raymond's first time director i think he just started letting him roll and so the whole thing is essentially improvised and they just mm. reworked everything and then had like a four-hour cut was the the initial cut because they had so much material and then they had to whittle <laughs> that down to 90 minutes i'm like the, everything about this movie is just fucking insane and it just i'm enthralled every time i watch it because i'm just like how did how how did any of that happen because it was like an 11 11 week shoot and they were in florida and they were just they were drunk and stoned all of the time i mean it's just amazing to yeah, me that they my did impression any of this. was it was just they got these guys together and they were like hey well, let's fuck around on a golf course and yeah, basically wasted. yeah that was basically the whole movie yeah mm. and so they but but it started to twist and you can probably blame a huge chunk of this on bill murray because they brought him in. He was only there for six days, and he had no lines. <laughs> it's like he's in a whole other movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is he was only there for six days, and he had no lines written for him, and he improvised everything. So everything that comes out of Bill Murray's mouth, he did. And 
they basically kept expanding Carl into the movie uh, to the point where then they just started going, well, this is all really good, funny stuff, so let's take out all of the stuff with the caddies because that's just not that funny. And it just yeah. reworked everything. And then they bring in Rodney Dangerfield as like a whirlwind, and he's just doing his act like one-liners. You know, it's like, hey, you want to make $14 the hard way? I mean, it's just boom, 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 boom. He was like the funniest part of the movie. And <laughs> I don't like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> well, Him and Ted Knight. Yeah. Well, like, here's I've a- got a thing on that real quick. It's I watching this again, and maybe this is me being an old fuck now, but I'm watching it and I'm going, if they remade this today... And uh, when, when we're done, well, like towards the end, let's let's do a quick recasting for the remake of this movie. But if okay. they remade this today, uh, I think it would be the other way around that it's all these, you know, developer shithead, you know, money rich dumbasses who are ruining the golf course for everybody. All, all Ted Knight wants to do is play some goddamn golf and you know, <laughs> Ronnie Dangerfield's fucking it up. And especially that speech where he's like, yeah, this this part over here will be great. We'll put up strip malls and, and you know, horseshit and just, just, just blow more plastic ugliness all around here. That'll yeah. be okay. Well, yeah, the- no, that would be the bag of... That's Trump. Not bad, huh? I'll have 2,000 more units in the next two years. Hey, I bet they'd love a great shopping mall right here. Condos over there. Plenty of parking. I tell you, country clubs and cemeteries, biggest wastes of prime real estate. Well, dead people. They don't want to be buried nowadays. Ecology, right? Ask Wang, he'll tell you. We just bought property right behind the Great Wall, on the good side. That's Trump. Trump is somebody <laughs> that other rich people don't like, who buys golf courses and uh, sort of sort of ekes his, his slimy Trump trail everywhere he yeah. goes. Well, <laughs> that to me is the other thing that's real, as, as I watch it, uh, as an adult, uh, the thing that really becomes super subversive about it is not that it's like the snobs versus slobs, because basically they just took the Animal House template and then just turned it into all these rich assholes and their little bubble. So it's the one percenters doing their one percenter thing. Uh, but what's subversive to me about it is that they started with this idea that they were going to fuck the system and yeah, screw this and screw that. And then they ended up making a movie wherein all of the protagonists were these asshole one percenters and then they made them somehow <laughs> sympathetic. And it's basically yeah. they, they well, went. What's the central conflict of this movie? Uh, that he might want the scholarship, except that by the end he yeah, doesn't. That's the I, point. I it's just, that was it. Well, it, it, it was, became do you a, like, sell out, or do you you like stay true to yourself and 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 live a positive life? I think yeah. I think most of the the direction came from the conversations between Danny and uh, whoever name Chevy Chase's character had. But he was basically like, you know, you can you can be like that, or you can just float through life and you know enjoy it well basically it boils down to the the conflict for noonan was to either suck up to judge smales played by ted knight and get that scholarship to college that he didn't want to go to uh or he could just fly in the face of that and golf on ty webb's team uh, and basically screw the judge out of 80 grand that's pretty much the the whole gist of the movie and it's just freakishly weird to me that it came from a group of writers and performers that had built their careers to that point on being so counterculture and subversive. And this whole thing is just not that at all. It's just basically about rich assholes fucking around on a golf course. I mean, it just when I when I watched that uh, not too long ago and had that 
that light bulb went off, I just went, holy shit. I'm like, this probably isn't what they intended, but even if it's not, it's just an amazing about face from everything that they did with Animal House. And so everybody was like, oh, make Animal House, do Animal House, do Animal House. And this is what they gave them. And it's a giant about face, even though it's got the veneer. Is it? It just weirds me out. Is it though? Because it's, isn't it from the perspective though of the caddies, even if they're not in every scene, it's basically we see these rich people in terms of the way the caddies would see them, which is boy, what a bunch of blowhards and assholes and racists. And well, I would, I would say, yeah, except that the caddies are not painted in a very good light at, at, at all either. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. they're either moronic animals that, you know, take over the pool uh, and wreak havoc, or they're running around behind the scenes, like betting and doing illicit bullshit that they shouldn't be doing. I mean, it's just, you know, nobody in this movie is painted in a very good light. Uh, and it's just weird to watch unfold because it's like you're, you, you're supposed to root here and you're supposed to root here, but at the end of the day, every character in this thing is just totally venal. I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. I mean, really, there's only the one character that, that Danny, that anybody's supposed to root for, I guess, but he's kind of a selfish dick. He's kind of a yeah. dick. I mean, he, right. he, he knocks up the Irish girl and then he goes and has sex with the, the slut visiting her uncle who's like the social i mean it's just like and then and then he comes back to maggie and like oh i've been a real dick and blah 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 she's like oh i'm not pregnant yay everybody's happy i mean it's just (laughs) like that whole so (laughs) if they edited a four-hour movie down to to this one like that okay that whole pregnancy subplot was utterly pointless it had no payoff it had no nothing it was why it cut the whole thing out in our remake, that that whole pregnancy thing was made up, and it was uh, designed as a trap to get Danny to stay with her. <laughs> well, the bigger thing you, we need to address, and this has always stuck me, struck me as weird from the first time I saw it, because they never address it, and I think, and it's because they had that that's that shambolic cut, and then had to just throw out so much of the actual plot line that they had started with. Uh, but they never explain while sh- why she's Irish. And it's just like, and she's the only one who's Irish in the entire thing. And it's just so distracting when you're watching it. It's like, why the fuck is it? It's like, oh, tanks for nothing. I mean, it's just like, what the hell is going on? Well, and, okay. The other thing they never explained is the first, the first two shots of the movie are like in Danny's house. And there is like 1400 kids yeah. in Danny's house. And I'm like. Is this an orphanage? Yeah, there's so many children. There's no way a human being could shit out that many kids and still be yeah. alive. I mean, and I guess it's supposed to be a Catholic joke, and it's just abandoned. Like that's it. It's gone. Well, that's the that's the joke. There, it's that they're they're a Irish Catholic, uh, but the the because it's based on the the Murray brothers. They're from a Catholic family, and they had like nine kids, and so it was just them uh, exaggerating it slightly. Uh, but that's basically what that was based on. But it was actually confusing. It was done better in Monty Python's The Meaning of Life, where it's the Catholic family with like 200 children. A Catholic the moment that came. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's every sperm is sacred. Every sperm is great. If a sperm is wasted, God gets quite irate. But, you know... You cut your it, balls off. <laughs> but, yeah, so Caddyshack is... I mean, it's it's earned a, its status as a classic over time, I think, thanks to video and cable. 
because uh, it received a very tepid welcome uh, when it came out. And I think just over time, because the performers are giving it so much, uh, that it becomes fairly quotable. Uh, but I think a lot of it's just based entirely on the strength of Bill Murray just being Bill Murray. Uh, and, and I didn't like the Bill Murray stuff. I thought it was lame. Like, <laughs> well, that's that's like your opinion, man. Uh, it, yeah, it is. But uh, the best part of this movie was the fact that whoever was playing Lacey Underall was extremely brawless through the entire movie, yeah. and good for her. I gotta well, disagree, know. though, on Bill Murray. I think I, I I I thought he was one of the few entertaining parts of this yeah. film. And yeah. what I really thought was interesting, especially when they had a scene together, is that uh, yes, yes. this was this was Bill Murray and Chevy Chase who hated each other, yeah. and yes. they are just about at the same level of their power. But for Chevy Chase, this is as high as it gets, you know, with a with a, an off equation vacation. blip with vacation, right? But this is kind of as good as it gets for him. And for Bill Murray, this is the beginning, and yeah. things are only going to get better. <laughs> it's like knowing it, knowing where this is going to happen, makes that more interesting. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah. What do you think? Awful. Well, I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Uh, I'm an assistant greenskeeper. They say that doesn't mean anything, you know, until I'm the head greenskeeper. Uh, can you give me a ruling on this? Oh, sit down. Come on. Make no, I don't, I don't want to stick to anything in here. Uh, well, here, take this thing off. This is dirty. Nah, don't go to too much trouble, please. Also, knowing that Chevy Chase thinks he's, you know, the, the funniest fucking everything. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what's funny about that. He's also the greatest drummer and the greatest person and, you yeah. know. I think Chevy Chase has the funniest scene in the movie, which is the tequila scene where he's playing the piano. Yeah. yeah. And well, and Cindy Morgan didn't even know that was coming. I yeah. had the same thought. That was the one thing where I laughed, and I was I said yep. to my I said to my wife, "Hey, a part's coming up that I remember being funny. Let's see how this works." And and it was. <laughs> yeah, the line I was born to rub you, but yeah. you were born to rub me first. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah when and, he throws but, the when he does the. When he, he puts <laughs> the, the tequila on shot. his hand, yeah. and he snorts the coke, drinks the lemon, and then just throws the tequila throws over the his shoulder. Tequila. Yeah, that's terrible. It's good. You don't know how to do it. How do How do I do it? I'm going to show you. I was born to love you. I was born to lick your face. I was born to rub you. But you were born to rub me first. Let's go into uh, the patio. And that's what I like about, at, at least uh, with the way Harold Ramis put it together, is that he had sense enough to let his actors do their thing and then kind of play with it from there. Because uh, that was all improvised, and Cindy Morgan had no idea what was going on, and she thought Chevy Chase was just insane. I mean, that you can literally <laughs> see it on her face when he does that bit. Uh and then the scene with him and, and Murray, the producers basically said, well, we've got the two top stars going. It's like, and they're not in any scenes together, so put them in a scene together. And then you get that one. And that's one of my favorite scenes because they're just both each doing their own thing. And there's some really good dialogue going on there. But yeah, you can, you can tend and everybody... It is, everybody it is fun to watch from a historical perspective, yeah. just knowing what was mm -hmm. going on with those guys at that yeah. time where Murray had replaced Chevy Chase on Saturday Night Live. Well, apparently they and, had... they had yeah. When Chevy Chase came back to SNL to host, and there's a story about how there was you know a scuffle in the hall between the two of them, so there was some bad blood. So when they were doing their scene together, everybody was like, oh, this is... Uh, but apparently it went off without a hitch, and they were both super professional. 
<laughs> so it was kind of a letdown. Uh, but you get that scene. Talk, you mentioned Cindy Morgan's character, and and again, I don't. None of what her character does makes any sense. No, like from one scene to the next. I mean, okay, I get it. She's supposed to be the hot chick that everybody wants to do, but like she's the one just kind of doing everybody with no rhyme or reason or even really consequences to the plot. Like all of her hooking up with Chevy chase is meaningless to anything else in the movie. Like what? Why? I think I, well, and you probably won't agree, but because of the way that they piece it together, uh, I see it more as like a, a series of vignettes that are sort of loosely tied. And then they recognize that. And that's why you've got all that bullshit with the gopher. That was sort of the through line to kind of tie everything together. But there's no plot per se. It's just a bunch of vignettes because they were just riffing. Uh, and Harold yeah. Ramis himself, after the fact, just said he, he, when he looks back, he's not thrilled with it because he can see where they kind of chintzed and cut corners in this and that, first-time director and whatnot. Uh, but he basically likens it. He says it, it's sort of structured like a Marx Brothers movie. He's like, he got Ted Knight is sort of the Margaret Dumont character the straight man who's just <laughs> flustered all the time. You've got Rodney Dangerfield. It was a great Ted Knight role. Yeah. Uh, his last film role, by the way. Uh, but you got Rodney was Dangerfield. It? Yeah. But Rodney Dangerfield is sort of the groucho of the bunch. You know, he's just wiseacring his way through it. Uh, you've got Bill Murray as sort of the Harpo character, just the, the lovable doofus kind of thing. Uh, and then you got Chevy Chase as sort of the, uh, the Chico of the bunch. And he says, so it's basically None set up, which was intentional. No, this is revisionist. Well, but that's but when they start piecing together, you can kind of see it and you can kind of see how he's coaxing these performances out of them uh, and mm -hmm. then cutting it together. But there's no plot. I mean, it's just basically just, you know, sequence to sequence to sequence. So it's almost like a really I'm always saying also plot is overrated. Plot yeah. is, it's like, yeah, if you have, have a, 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 I guess a twisting and turning plot, then yeah, everything serves that. But that's not necessary. Like like uh, Blues Brothers, probably my favorite comedy of all time, has the strongest plot device of a comedy, and yet they still ignore it. They set it up, yeah. they say this is what it is, oh, and then they just let the shit happen. Yeah. There's a ton of movies like that, you know, 40-year-old version. The whole Judd Apatow thing is, is basically that, but at least they have a unifying idea or a theme or a, a sense that one character is supposed to be the one whose side we're on. I mean, they're having this, this golf betting tournament thing at the end and i genuinely didn't know who i was supposed to be rooting for because well, you weren't yeah, supposed to root for anybody plot. i think yeah i think the problem there is all of the vignettes are strong because all of the it's not the characters are strong but the characters are comedic and so they are as much as they need to be like like bill murray's stuff is strong because you get him fast and you can move on the whatever plot there is is in the hands of uh, what's his name? I can't even think of his name. The the caddy kid and 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 Maggie no and like all these boring ass characters and all these you know very uh, first world problem you know issues and I don't give a fuck. It's like that should have been the smallest part of the movie, yeah. and then you know let everybody be funny. <laughs> well, yeah, I think where where you're getting lost in the weeds, Brian, is that it 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 doesn't have a plot. It literally its whole goal is just to be funny uh and it yeah. doesn't really care yeah. uh what sort of skeleton it slaps itself together on that it, uh look if i were stoned i would probably enjoy the movie a whole lot more it's a movie by stone people for stone people you know <laughs> those exist and well, they're good this well, one i mean moy maybe i just was too fucking sober seriously uh, 
I don't know. I've watched it. I've watched it drunk. I've watched it stoned. I've watched it sober. Uh, and I've enjoyed it in any state. Uh, but again, because I like it anyway, I'm just predisposed to like it. Uh, and I've seen it so much that now I'm not even really looking to laugh. I'm just, I'm like I said, I'm more enthralled with how they've pieced all of this shit together. Cause I mean, they literally just put it all together. And this is like the SNL because blues brothers came out the same year and it's the same thing. I mean, literally they had to hire somebody to guard Belushi on that movie to make sure that he didn't snort a mound of cocaine and disappear for four days that's just how they did this shit. I mean, and, and it's amazing Such to me a better that, movie. <laughs> well, and it's but it's but it's also because you had uh, John Landis directing that, and he was more accomplished as a director by that stage, and he'd already been through it before with Animal House and such. Yeah, but this is Harold Ramis. With Harold Ramis is he, it's not that he had the good sense to let his actors do what he did. He he had the low self esteem to let his actors do what he did. He didn't actually have a direction. <laughs> No, I, you, I would you dis- never. I would shoot a four-hour fucking movie. No, I would disagree with that. He didn't uh, have any say in it because he he came up with all of those guys through National Lampoon, and so he had performed with them at Second City in the Lemmings, and so he knew exactly what they were capable of. And I think he had the good sense to just get out of their way and then just you know say fuck it. The downside of that is that Doug Kenny just got royally pissed off because they cut just about everything that he wanted to do with it. And then two months later, he's dead. I mean, it's just like, mm. uh, you know, he didn't get to see the full uh, duration of Caddyshack growing into the esteem uh, that it now receives. Uh, yeah. So it's just, you know, it's unfortunate. But I mean, they, I mean, it was, you know, let's be real. They make movies to make money. And so you got to do something to whip it all into shape. But this is one of those weird ones that's in the shadow of Animal House. Uh, and, you know, you, you kind of look and, well, what they do here and how do we emulate that? And then so then you get, like you said, the Apatow movies and you get Adam Sandler and whatnot. So then I think they lose even more sight of how to make something funny, uh, but also sort of endearing and likable somehow. And it's it's just that X factor with Caddyshack that I can never pinpoint because because you, yeah. you sit down and my you, problem was I wasn't finding it funny. I mean I I'm down with a movie that just carries me from random thing to random thing if I'm enjoying the random things. But like mm. the first thing that even made me chuckle was the guy shining the shoe and getting a bunch of sparks off of it. Um, <laughs> and that was just a lame sight gag. Like I literally I think from that point I didn't laugh again. Until the scene where Spalding's in the background, the whole shot going, shit, double farts, you know, yes, trying know. to we hit the golf. Guessed, like, uh, 80, oh, 75, shit. more like 68, I think. <laughs> I don't believe it. Damn it. Really? Oh, yes. Shit. <clears throat> Why don't you improve your lie a little, sir? Yes, Asshole. yes, winter rules. Oh, yes. Double farts. But there's just like wide smoss of not funny in this movie. I'm, I'm with you. Because I watched it, and yeah, my my one thing was I remember this being funnier. But I'm I'm also wondering, comedy has you know it, it depends on the world it lives in, right? I mean, it's it's some it's difficult for something to be funny forever because it's responding to the world around it. And this yeah. is funny for 1980. It's like there's something in 1980 that made us need this, and that's why it was fun. I, I actually, the first time I saw this, I was 10. I was, t- yeah. I, yeah, I saw it on cable when it first came out, and I thought it was the funniest thing ever. And for years I did. 
And watching it, of course, now, it's it it, it feels lazy. Well, I think but, what, I mean, like Monty Python is still funny. No, it's not. Yeah, Mark's you brother. you try and yeah. watch one of those full episodes. I don't mean the best of. I mean the full episodes. Yeah, there's they're, a ton of shit in there that's tough. not funny. And the same with old uh, SNL. Same thing with original Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you watch the yeah. classic skits. Yeah, the classic ones are funny, but there's so much filler in there where you're going, oh, yawn. Can you tell another joke about That's weed? That's true of this every Saturday Night Live ever, though. Um, Do they yeah, still make because it? because it needs its time. It depends on the time that it's in, I well, think. Well, I think where you're getting into it is that uh, it it's in that weird area because now it's such a revered comedy classic, but... It really was, it took a long time to get there. And I think a lot of it, again, is based on people watching it young on cable, on, on video, uh, and it just sort of gets absorbed. Because uh, mm. when it came out, I mean, it got savaged. I mean, here, let me read you some of these because it's like Leonard Malton uh, basically says it's a, another comedy where a reverence and destruction are a substitute for humor. Uh, so that's sort of the, the, the gist. Like Gene Siskel, uh, says what accounts for the success of films like Caddyshack is their total lack of pretense at a time when so many films are corny uh, or not or so many films are coming on as very pompous. So he was very sort of middling. Uh, Roger Ebert said it never finds a consistent comic note, uh, which is true. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody was just really down on it, but the Hollywood reporter is the one that kills me. Because uh, to attempt a critical evaluation of Caddyshack is a little like describing the aesthetic qualities of an outhouse. I mean, they just didn't like the scatological humor at all. Uh, and they go on to list all of the, the stuff, like the candy bar sequence, because they thought it was a turd that in the pool. That was the only joke I remembered from my Duty! childhood was the baby Ruth. Uh, but yeah. basically, they say and having established... Yeah. Yeah. Well, they say having established a level of humor uh, in the screenplay, <laughs> uh, it can only add that its large and manic cast drawn mainly from television sustains that level with chilling persistence. <laughs> So it's like they were they were mad that they just committed to this ridiculous and then just stuck with it. Uh, I think it's just it's just designed to to be funny. I mean, but if you look at the the year, so number one, I would like to just say that Caddyshack came in number seventeen out of all the 116 movies released that year, 1980. It grossed 39 million eight hundred forty six thousand dollars, which today would be about 115 million. So that's nothing to sneeze at. So it found an audience. So I think it, mm-hmm. that, that helped. Uh, but when you look at the other top comedies of the year, uh, it's just stunning. Uh, it didn't make the top 10, but from the top 10, you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. So seven of the top 10 movies that year were all comedies. Uh, Run them down. So no airplanes in there. Well, number 10 was the Blues Brothers. So yeah, there you have it. Still, that's a mainstay. Much that's a, that's a classic. Uh, mm-hmm. Number eight was Smokey and the Bandit two, which just boggles my mind. Yeah. Uh, okay, that just uh, number six was Private Sequel Benjamin, of a movie that was beloved in in its own time. I mean, it well, and that's sense. well, that's number five was Any Which Way You Can, which was the sequel to Any Which Way But Loose, uh, the one with the monkey and Clint Eastwood. Uh, yeah, so I don't get that one at all. Private Benjamin's Comedy in there. Giant Clint Eastwood. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> and then we touched on this uh, in the previous show with Zaz, but uh, Airplane was number four. Uh, and I think out of all of these movies, Airplane probably casts the largest shadow uh, for 1980s comedy, yeah. uh, just because of 
just what it did for parody. Uh, I mean, you can argue that Caddyshack, yeah, had some effect, but Caddyshack was really just sort of a, a through line from Animal House. So of the movies released that year for comedies, I think Airplane is the the king. Um, but number three was yeah. Stir was Stir Crazy. Uh, Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, the one where they're in prison. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like, uh, and then number two was nine not to five. Exact- and well, that the stir crazy one though, while not a sequel, was the follow up to Silver Streak that everybody loved Gene Wilder yeah. and Richard Pryor in so much. So yeah. kind of the same thing. Uh, so yeah, so those were the top ten. And then, like I said, Caddyshack came in at number seventeen. And then I will also like to add that Used Cars came out that year uh, to num- <laughs> and that was and that was number fifty six at the box office. Uh, and I love 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 Used Cars. Same that, here. Same uh, here. I would, yeah. and, I would and say still it, magically somehow that movie does hold up. Yeah. Was and that the first Robert Zemeckis movie? Uh pretty much, yeah. I think it was his first big one. Uh that was good stuff. That was. And that's him and Bob Gale. I mean, to me, Caddyshack Caddyshack, the shadow it casts is over this those eighties snobs and slobs comedies, which yeah. again I know it's really Animal House, but like there was just so much of that stuff on cable yeah all the well, fucking time well yeah and they were all hor- like up the creek as uh, just a fucking awful and then caddyshack <laughs> itself is coming off of uh meatballs which was another yeah. another ivan reitman production with harold ramus writing so you can see the template and it all goes back to animal house which is one of my favorites of all time because it's just so gonzo it just does not give a shit uh, about who it offends and that's what i love about it whereas caddyshack they were trying to do that but uh, so i i do i do have a soft spot for caddyshack it is not by any means something that i will defend to the end of my breath uh because it's got a lot of inherent problems but i still would rate it highly uh in my canon of of comedies that i like to watch uh but it's just yeah i i do not refute anything that you're are having qualms with at all. Uh, but I'm looking to just sort of uh, step aside from those and just enjoy the movie on its own terms for, <laughs> for what it can do for me uh, to make me giggle. And that's really all I care about. Can I, can I mention the one part of the, of Caddyshack I did love and I forgot about completely, but I loved in yeah. the pool scene before the, uh, the baby Ruth, uh, they they do the synchronized swimming scene that makes no oh, yeah. sense, yeah, and yeah. for that I that adore was great. It. Well, and that's that what was I great. What I love about that too is that was just an on on set the day of kind of thing. They're like, yeah, hey, why don't we have them do a Busby Berkeley yeah. musical number? Oh, sure, hippie water ballet. Yeah. I'm all for it. And yeah. so nothing wrong with that. It worked in a way that that boat like running amok scene didn't i mean they spent yeah. like most of the profit from animal house on that boat scene and yeah why no they spent most of the profit on all the coke but that's something else entirely <laughs> but you know yeah, i mean and that answers the question why <laughs> but you take out all of the the dialogue that murray improvised and it's some i mean to me it's some of the the most classic bits uh i just where he's making the where he's making the little animals out of plastic okay that was that was the best part of that by full my enemy is an animal, and in order to conquer him, I have to think like an animal. Never possible to look like one. I got to get inside this dude's belt and crawl around for a few days. Who is the gopher's ally? His friend, the harmless squirrel, and the friendly rabbit. 
I'm going to use you two guys to do my dirty work for me. <laughs> yeah. The the varmint Kong. <laughs> it's so funny. Okay. Uh, so before we, we end this, I, a real quick lightning round. Uh, uh-huh. In the, the remake of Caddyshack, who do you cast for the Chevy Chase part? Uh, that's a good question. Because um, um, here's my choice. John yeah. Hamm. Yeah, I who? can see that. John Hamm. John Hamm. John, John Ham. Hmm. If you see John Ham do comedy in okay. any of the funnier die things, he is a goofball. He could do yeah. it. Which reminds me, this, this is a sidebar, and then we'll get back to it. But uh, I totally forgot that until just now. But their original choice to play Noonan uh, <laughs> was an up and comer named Mickey Rourke. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, uh, continue. Just to keep this going fast, here's how it'll work. I'll, uh, I'll I call would it cast, out. If you don't I would cast Stephen Colbert in the Chevy Chase role. Yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Uh, all right. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, who's an insult comic nowadays? Seth Rogen. Yeah, I could see that. I okay. could see that. The, the, the correct answer was no, no. These, this is who I came up with. Uh, okay. Either Mark, either Mark Maron or Melissa McCarthy. Ooh, Melissa McCarthy. Melissa I, McCarthy I like, I like a that. really good choice. For I that. like that. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay, here's a tough one. Ted Knight. Ooh. Oh, Ooh. no, I had this a minute ago and I already lost it. Oh, no, um, J.K. Simmons. Okay. Oh, that's good. I had Alec Baldwin. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. I that guess. Works. Okay. And this is all assuming that in my remake, I don't actually make uh, Shervik the, the bad guy, which I think he is. But okay. uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, the Michael O'Keefe, uh, the, the caddy. So the, uh, the young guy. Who's the caddy? The, the, not the hero guy? Yeah, the one, the yeah. one who... Does does and then doesn't knock up Maggie. Noonan. Okay. Noonan. Um. Noonan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's his name, in case you were wondering. Uh, who's an up and comer? Uh, Here's my shit. choice. Uh, yeah. Freddie Highmore, the kid from Bates Motel. Okay. I was gonna say uh, mm. Domino Gleason, but he's a little old now to play mm. Noonan. But there you go. Guess the kid from uh, the end of the fucking world. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That's the thing. I think anyone who's cast as the kid, we're not really going to know because we're old and we don't know young actors, yeah. but we, we do know it'll be British. Here's, here's um, what I suggest is we just, we don't cast a known entity for that role because oh. it's invisible. How's that? That's have, why, yeah, another reason to cast British. Yeah. I, yeah. I have, I'm going to recast the Chevy Chase role. I, I take back Stephen Colbert and I give you Justin Timberlake. Ah, yeah. Or Neil Patrick Harris. No, no, I I can one up Mm. you. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris would do well. No, no. uh, Jason Sudeikis, I think, would be better. Jason Sudeikis. Yeah, okay. Uh, God, actually, that would. That's almost on the nose. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Saturday Night Live. Decent. Good looking. Goofy. Can do comedy. Pretty funny. He's a good guy. Okay. This one. This one is really a wild. uh, A wild card. You almost can't get it wrong. Yeah. uh, Because you can go anywhere. Bill Murray. I think uh, Bill Murray would do wonders as uh, the actual head greenskeeper. No, really? I mean, I mean, who do you recast that Bill Murray part with? Oh, I misheard you. 
That would make more yeah, sense sorry, the I way you I asked didn't it. Say that right. <laughs> yeah, um, that's like I'm like exactly. Louis, okay. Louis C.K. Louis C.K. We can't hire him. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> Fine. I mean, might uh, as well do Kevin Spacey while we're at it. Jesus, Brian. Um, <laughs> well, he would have been a good Ted Knight. <laughs> <laughs> what a, oh, if only we could set the Wayback Machine. Oh, this is the sexual harassment movie. <laughs> oh my God, you realize that that once Harvey Weinstein finally gets some cash together to produce a film, he's going to hire all of these people to be yes. in it. That's awesome. And it'll That's be awesome. called Rapey Rape Rape. Uh... Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so the shit. Bill Murray role. Hold on. We got to. We got to get this one. Okay. That's that's tough. That's tough, man. I can give you mine if you want. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I know. Will Ferrell. He's okay. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. My my picks were either Zach Galifianakis or yeah, Will Forte. Okay. Or Will yeah. Forte actually was was my wife's, but I think that's pretty solid. Well, here's the tough bit about that is because when they made Caddyshack 2, they effectively recast Spackler as uh, Dan Aykroyd, and he, yeah. fu- and he fucking sucked. Everything I've seen yeah, from Yeah, because him. he was trying to do the same thing, right? That's what I'm... Yeah. So, it's a, t- it's a tightrope. I think you're... Uh, yeah. You, you, you've hit the, the, the linchpin of the whole enterprise. If you don't nail that, then the whole thing is yeah. nothing. So See, the thing is that character is such a guy who was damaged by the vietnam war like he clearly was a dumbass who'd been back from the vietnam war uh but i think the point of that character is you have to hire someone who is capable of making it completely their own and ignoring the bill murray thing whereas dan Aykroyd was like picking and choosing parts and making you know and like and dan Aykroyd is singularly unfunny if it hadn't been for saturday night live (laughs) he would have gone from second city to like pay less shoes (laughs) okay well, and then uh, to to end it because we pretty much are, are kicking our our uh, right our edge. Uh, oh wait, wait, Doctor Beeper, Doctor Beeper, Johnny Knoxville, uh, Ben Stiller. I'm thinking Johnny Knoxville because okay. of the part where he electrocutes himself with his beeper and just keep having horrible shit to happen to him so that Knoxville okay. can be Knoxville. And uh, and who would be Spalding? Uh. Oh. That that That's, kid, that guy Foggy from the Daredevil show, maybe. Yeah, yes, like. yeah. I'll take it because he looks alike. Okay, uh, yeah. and then lastly, what about Lacey uh, Underall. Uh, uh, who has the best rack in the? Um, let's see. Or who's done porn? Maybe yeah, that's that Sasha Gray. Yeah, Sasha Gray. Get her. She's okay, a porn star okay. who's trying to have an acting career. I'm just saying, you're really rolling us into just really uh, like 12-year-old boy territory. It's like, who would I want to see naked? That's pretty much all you're yeah. really asking. Lacey Underall. That is the entire like character. Point out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd like to point so. out that the name is basically, yeah, like, think of my underwear. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they might as well have just named her Pokey. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, hi, I like Turkey is done. Well, you and know, honestly, that it, that's a stunt casting role, and it should be played by Paris Hilton. But anyway, um, oh, well done, Brian. Two thousand and eight, yeah. so two thousand and late. Two thousand and eight. Well, okay, fine. Two thousand. Then Kim yeah. Kardashian <laughs> plays the role, or or someone like that, or Khloe Kardashian. I don't fucking care. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah. This movie's never getting made. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. Like there won't be a soft reboot of Caddyshack in the next two years. This train is pulled into the station. I think we're good. Yeah. Well, and then I want to bring it back to to Mr. Loggins just on the the end because ostensibly he's the reason that we're here talking about this. 
so you talk about recasting, redoing the movie, but what I want to know is because I could not for the life of me find a cover of I'm All Right by anybody. Is it that perfect of a song that no one wants yes. to try it? Don't touch it. Okay. Don't touch it. So if you were going to cover it, uh, A, what band would you get? Or B, what genre would you cover it in? Nickelback. <laughs> Nickelback. Wow. Oh. Strong choice. Strong Man, choice. And he just, gate. yeah, he just came right out with that too. You've been putting that one in your pocket. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Nickelback. I was kind of thinking like what, it, like what a Rage Against the Machine cover would sound like. Or, or, <laughs> or better yet, uh, Eric's favorite, Marilyn Manson, I think should do it. He probably will eventually. <laughs> yeah, mm. probably. He's got he's got to do them all. I'm There's going to be like right. K-Tel collections of Marilyn Manson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Marilyn Manson should do. Marilyn Manson sings the hits. <laughs> I'm alright. Don't nobody worry about me. Dip 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 dip. <laughs> Actually, that's that's an argument for the Trent Reznor cover of it. You can hear his like voice. I'm alright. Oh, and then you get. Oh, yeah, but if you get Trent yeah. Reznor to do it, he's going to say "I'm all right" in that way that says "I'm not all right." <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually think- really not okay. I'm yeah. all right. Uh, I think we need to bankroll uh, an all Kenny Loggins soundtrack cover song LP. I think that would work. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, though? In all seriousness, the Dickies would kick the shit out of that song. I mean, that has got so many earmarks of the Dickies. I think they would really do it. (laughs) So I got that going for me, which is nice. I've got nothing else. (laughs) Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. Hey! Well, if you like this episode and want to hear us talk more about Kenny Loggins, just send us an email to magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at MagHuge or Facebook at MagnificentlyHuge or uh, any of those others. Share us on iTunes and SoundCloud and Stitcher and wherever else you can find us. Uh, tell a friend. Yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. A f- listen tell, listen with make friends. a huge difference. <laughs> Try that. Try listening to exactly. this with someone else in the room so that they go, hey, what is that hilarious nonsense? And then you can turn them on to it. Yeah. And I think we'll, we'll let the music fade out on that note because, uh, well, what else can you say? Keep the fire, my friend. <laughs> Keep the fire. Whoa, shit. We didn't even talk about Journey. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs>